The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to all of you here. So good to see everyone on this very cold day in February. Glad to see you and glad to see those of you joining us online as well. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, particularly Philippians chapter 4. As we come into the final conclusion of this book, I know many of things that have happened in between when we started this book and now we will see it through to its completion and I'm happy to be with you to do that alongside with you. Um, Church, I just want to say before I forget, thank you for dealing with our parking lot situation. We know that we have incredibly outgrown our parking lot. So if you invite friends, just make sure that you go pick them up and drive them here because our parking lot is so incredibly full. So uh, just know that as soon as the ground permits, we plan to have bulldozers out here to see that it is expanded and that we have actual room to park, which will be a blessing. So be taking your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Church, if you took a thermometer. I can remember as a young person that thermometers were the type that you would stick inside your ear and you'd press the button and then it would give you the reading of what your temperature was. And uh, nowadays they've got thermometers that you just wave across somebody's forehead and it will tell you what their temperature is. But before this time and before the time in which I was growing up when the thermometer went in the ear, the thermometer went under the armpit or underneath the tongue or somewhere else and and the, therm- the thermometer would tell you, with the numbers on it, it would tell you what was going on inside the body. It would give you an indication of that. I'd like to preach today for just a few moments about a different kind of thermometer. Now there are some things about this kind of thermometer that I'll be preaching about that are both similar and different from the type of thermometer that we have in our homes that we are well acquainted with. The type of thermometer that I'd like to preach about also has numbers in it. But unlike a thermometer that goes under the tongue or under the armpit or in the ear or somewhere else, this thermometer rather goes inside of our wallets. It's got numbers on it, but it goes inside the wallet or inside the purse. And these thermometers that we have in this land in which we find ourselves living is green and it's got the face of a dead guy on it. And that's the thermometer that I would like to preach about. Now this thermometer... Uh, It does give us somewhat of a reading of temperature, usually whether or not lukewarm or hot for the Lord. But more particularly, rather than giving us a number out reading, what it does, in fact, is gives us a reading of where our heart is and even the ratio and where our heart is. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we, could walk through each of, if we could all walk through each of our homes and, and take a tally of the sum total of all the things that we have spent money on, it would be a very accurate representation of where our heart is, where our treasures are, the things that we spend treasure on, the things that we see as treasure in the ratio, I would even say, to the degree that we have spent money on something, at that same ratio, you would find where that individual person's heart was and is now Paul knew this 
Paul was the one used of God when God wrote the words in 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now Paul loves this church at Philippi. He doesn't want them to be pierced through with many sorrows, which is why he explains, I believe, what he does in Philippians 4 will be in verse 10 in a moment. But before I read that, I would like to simply give you the disclaimer that today's teaching is not about getting you to give more money. Let me just repeat that because some of you weren't paying attention. Today's teaching is not about getting you to give more money. Some people get very finicky when preachers talk about money, probably because it ought to be no surprise to anyone that the salary of a pastor, especially at this church and soon to be pastors at this church, are supplied by the tithe and offering that comes out of the church. But what I will say about the attitude of me individually and the leadership of this church is there is a very strong understanding of the Psalm 50 verse 10 the Lord and leader of this church owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's the attitude of this church. And he not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills. And he owns the grass that's popping up out of the hills. The Lord owns it all. And while I would love for people to walk in obedience in giving, I say boldly that this church does not need your money. And I'm not going to sit here and ever at any point beg people out of this humanistic expression of trying to get people to give more. That is not what this is about today, nor will it ever be about this. Today is about taking this thermometer and inserting it into the hearts and into the lives of each of us to see where we stand, to see whether or not we are lukewarm or hot, to see whether or not where our hearts are, to see where it is that our hearts indeed are so if you're in philippians 4 i invite you to look to verse 10 where we read and it says but i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished everyone say the word flourished flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that i speak in regard to need for i have learned in whatever state i am i am to be content I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So, the church at Philippi supported Paul in a tithe and an offering, which in those days largely consumed of both money and food and clothing. In today's world, it usually consists of predominantly money. And this church supported him in his missionary efforts, much in the same way that New Covenant Community Church supports a man named Virgilio who ministers in the Philippines and a man named Roger who ministers in the Czech Republic. And if we could expound on what Paul was saying here to, to, to synthesize and see through what it is that's happening here, he's basically saying to them, I'm glad that you've given the tithe and offering. I'm thankful that you've given it. But the money, the actual piece, the gift itself is not the thing that is actually causing me joy. Paul knew, as we all know today, that there is a common understanding about money and this feeling that us human hearts tend to have towards money and that, that we'll feel like we have arrived when we get a certain amount. When our 401k or our Roth IRA or wherever it is that we stash away money, when it has a certain a number attached to it, then, then we're going to be really happy. We will have flourished when we reach this certain place of 
financial stability or whatever it is that you want to look at it and the teaching of scripture is different it's reshaping this understanding it's remolding it the word that's used there flourish i'm not a greek scholar but i can read people who are it's the greek word athalo and it literally describes this flourishing like a tree blooming i don't know about you but i really love living in ohio and one of the joys of living in ohio is when we go from winter to spring and you all know exactly what I'm talking about. You're driving down the road and you see the tinge of green. Not full canopy, not full leaf and foliage on all the, all the things that make things green and grow in the summertime. But there's just a tinge of green that you see. And then in Ohio, especially if we've got some spring rains, man, in like five days, it's just like, boom, you look out again and it's like, oh my gosh, the trees are completely full. They have flourished. They've bloomed. And what we're seeing here in Scripture is that this flourishing, this blooming type of illustration happens when there's this right relationship with money, not this sense of I'll be happy, I will flourish when I get this certain amount. And you combine that with verse 13, which I invite you to look at your Bibles there for that famous text which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul says to the Philippian church, I'm glad that you gave, but it's not the money that I'm glad that you gave for. It's the reason that you're flourishing in your Christian walk. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, if we ask ourselves the question, what will happen when you insert money, this thermometer of money, into the life of a faithful believer? First point this morning, gentlemen, the believer flourishes when money is in its rightful place. The believer flourishes their faith flourishes their discernment flourishes their wisdom flourishes their understanding of scripture flourishes their heart is in the right place it's not stolen by that of another it's in the right place the believer's life will flourish in their walk with christ when money is in its rightful place now sadly this is not the case for perhaps even most of us in the room today and I would even say this is probably not the case for even those of us that tithe 10% on our income from what we make in our checks and we tithe on 10% of that. That's probably not the case. And here's what I mean by that. Um, as a pastor, probably hundreds of times I've had people say things to me like, well, Pastor Ben, I can't memorize the books of the Bible because my brain isn't wired that way. I, it's impossible for me to memorize all of the books of the Bible by name and in order. But it makes me wonder if someone went to an individual like that and said, I will give you $50,000 if you can memorize all the books of the Bible in order in 20 minutes. Your brain would get rewired. Why? Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And we love $50,000 more than we love memorizing the books of the Bible. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, if someone said, you know, we're in a world where most of us probably don't witness. I know some of us do, but a lot of us are pretty secret agents for Christ. And, uh, and we don't witness very much. I'm guilty of this. How selfish I must be to, to not share the greatest truth that I know is true. The, the truth that has saved me and set me free and lets me walk in the light and forgives, forgiveness of sins. And yet we, we find ourselves lazy with witnessing. But if someone came up to any of us and said, you will receive $1,000 for every person that you share Jesus with, 
Man, we'd make Billy Graham look, 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 look lukewarm if, if that was the case. We would all begin witnessing like crazy. And the reason is, is because we love $1,000 more than we love where someone's soul will spend in eternity. There was an old country church where there was a farmer that was in the congregation, and the pastor goes up to this farmer and says, Sir, if you had 100 pigs, would you give 10% of them away? Would you sell 10% of your pigs, 10 pigs, and then give those proceeds to the Lord's house? To which the farmer boldly proclaimed, Yes, pastor, I would do it. If I had 100 pigs, I would sell 10, and I would give the proceeds to the church. To which the pastor then said, If you had 50 pigs... Would you give 30%? Would you sell 15 hogs so that you could take the proceeds of those animals and give it to the Lord's church? To which the farmer replied, yes, I would indeed give 30 away. I'd give 30% away. 15 hogs I would sell and give the proceeds to the church. And then the pastor said, if you had two pigs, would you give 50%? Would you take one of your hogs and sell it and then give the proceeds to the church? To which after the Farmer looked down at his feet. He says, come on, pastor, you not only have two hogs. It's easy to talk about in theory, church. Much more difficult to do when our hearts are in this right place. Could, could you be bribed to give the Lord 100% of your life? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Are you already giving him all of your life? Are you already giving him all of your brain's capacity? Or could you be bribed into giving the Lord more? I've been in two different arguments about how much a Christian ought to tithe, whether or not it was the 10%. Is that the right amount for a Christian to tithe? And the two conversations I was in regarding this were my first and my last. Okay, Those were the two ones that I had. And in this one conversation that I had regarding this argument about should the Christian tithe 10%, and, and my thought was, yeah, it sure seems pretty clear in Scripture. That definitely seems like a pattern. It seems like a common pattern that you see pop up throughout Scripture a lot of times. So perhaps it's a good idea to go the whole 10% route. And the individual I was talking with, they were arguing against that. And I spent like 30 minutes talking to this person. And at the end of the conversation, I hang up the phone and I thought, man, I just wasted 30 minutes of my life. Wasted, completely wasted 30 minutes of time. I really should have just told this individual, where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not really about whether it's this 10% mark. It's whether or not somebody could take a bank statement or that little book that we keep a track of what checks we write. Do those documents reflect that you love the Lord? Do those documents reflect that the Lord has your heart? That's a much better way of going about those types of conversations, I believe. Now, church, don't forget the Psalm 50, verse 10. The Lord and leader of this church, and I'm largely paraphrasing this verse, but he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not that he needs your money. This is not about God keeping his thumb on us to keep us somehow financially suppressed in some kind of way. This is about a loving Father who loves us and wants our hearts to be in the right place, to not let our hearts be pouring out love to something that's not worth pouring out love towards. So if you're thankful for the good, loving Father that you have, everyone say yes, and I'll move on. Verse 14. Nevertheless, Paul says, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So once again, Paul says it's good that you've been giving, but not only giving a gift, 
but consistent in giving. He's thankful that they gave once aid once and again in all these different areas, in these different places. He's thankful for that. I hope we ask the question why, just so that Paul can get rich. I don't think that was probably on his mind, given that he was chained to a wall while he's writing this, but I think verse 17 gives us the answer. Look back to it. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul received a tithe and offering from this church at Philippi, which again would have included money, very likely food and clothing also. But the thing that he was thankful for, the thing that he was, in sh he was sure to communicate to them was that he was not just thankful for the gift. Were his needs met in the process? Yes. But the thing that he was thankful for was the fruit that was going to abound to their account. I imagine just perhaps Paul was thinking something to himself like, you know, they're giving, they're consistent giving. It's telling a story. It's telling a story to the world. And the story that it's telling is that these people love Jesus. These people have received unmerited favor, unmerited love and grace of God, and they, it's the proof of that is that they are giving people. They're giving in this way, and there is fruit that is now abounding to their account. Now, and I would just like for me to be able to look you in the face and tell you all this morning, and, and I just as a disclaimer, I don't know who gives what around here. I've chosen not to know that because I don't want to take someone who is either disobedient or immature in their faith and, and minister to them differently based on who's giving money. I, I don't ever want to get into that. But, but for those of you who are givers and you know who you are, I just want to tell you this morning, you're telling a story. Your giving is telling a story to the world. And the story that it's telling is that you've been changed by Jesus, that you've been given something that you don't deserve and that you freely give of what you have been given by God because of that. Those are ministries that I don't see how much people are giving around here. But there are some ministries that I do see some of those things, like when somebody in the church moves, like literally moves from one house to another, and a bunch of us guys go and help them move when we can. Um, you know what no guy has ever said? You know, I'd love to spend my Saturday, Saturday morning and afternoon moving boxes. I'd love, to, I'd, love to, I'd love to just have a sore back all weekend long because I help so-and-so move. Wouldn't it be so wonderful to not be able to spend time with my children and at home taking care of the projects that I'd like to do? No guy has ever said that. But why is it that all these guys start showing up when I throw a text out there and say, hey, so-and-so's moving, and guys are bringing their own vans, their own trucks, their own efforts, their own abilities, they're breaking their own backs, pouring, pouring sweat out of their own pores, because you're telling a story. Your giving is telling a story. Adrian Rogers once said, if you are not a giver, it's clear that you do not know the full weight of what it is that Jesus has done for you. And I see that around here, church. I, I see some of these just amazing, like, our Wednesday night meal prep help. Like, that list is full now of people signed up, ready to go. In some churches, they've got to, like, twist people's arms to get people to help and to serve and all these things. And, and I haven't done that. If any of you have started doing that, let me know. But I don't think there's any of us around here that are going around in dark alleys holding guns to people's heads saying, you better serve at the church. Like, People are doing this because, because they're living in full weight of what it is that Jesus has done. Not just in finances. This goes way beyond money. And your whole life, your whole service, your whole, your whole countenance, how we as a group will overcome obstacles. I, I'm really excited about that. Can, can you tell, church? I'm really excited about leading a group of believers that are, live every aspect of their life in full weight of what Jesus has done. Does it impact our finances? Oh, yeah. Does it impact our time? Absolutely. Does it impact how we dress and how we speak? 
It impacts everything. Everything is changed by that. So, bringing us back, what will happen when you insert this thermometer, this thermometer into the heart of a faithful believer? Point number two this morning, the believer adds to their heavenly account when money is in its rightful place. Adding to a heavenly account. And I think this is probably why, church, it's very difficult to get non-believers to give because they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in a heavenly account. They don't believe any of that kind of stuff. You know, you hear these statistics like only 15 to 25% of a congregation actually tithes. And some people see that as like, well, there's all those disobedient Christians. I would just say that's probably representative of only 15 to 25% of any given church being saved is what I would say that that probably is indicative of. But a non-believer, they don't believe in a heaven. They don't believe in a heavenly count. So it's very difficult to get a non-believer to give of money or time or anything. But if you're a believer and you believe Jesus... You believe words that he said in John 14, 1 through 3, where he said, let not your heart be troubled. If you're glad that your Savior said those words, say amen. amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, Perhaps this has happened. I don't know. I, I do believe that whether it's Jesus himself for the past 2,000 some odd years that's been preparing a place for you and I, a mansions in his father's house. I don't know if that's him personally doing that or if he is the, the foreman of the project and he's having angels do this work as he oversees these projects. I don't know how that goes, but, but I believe and trust that it's him that's preparing those places. And could it be church? I don't know that this has happened, but could it be that as Jesus left to go do and is doing what it is he told us he was going to go do that perhaps he has at times said hold up stop the project stop building this mansion in my father's house i want you angels to look at look at this child of mine washed in my blood imperfect but made perfect because of me they're in the likeness of my death they're in the likeness of my resurrection also look at this child of mine See how their heart loves me and not money? Because my word is true, whom I used Paul to faithfully preach my perfect, holy, inspired word through, and my word told them that, that they were going to be adding to their account fruitful things that would be added to their account when things like money were in its rightful place, just like it was for the Philippian church who gave to Paul. They were adding fruit for their account. That's why Paul was happy with them. Because, I, because their heart loves me, I'm now going to add fruit to their account. And I know that this particular child of mine loves flowers. So I want, to, I want to expand this project. I want to build further onto this mansion that I'm creating for them. I want to add some fruit to their account, to their heavenly account. And I want us to make a room full of nothing but flowers that they've never heard or seen before. Because eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered their heart the things which I am preparing for them because they love me. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I do believe Philippians 4.17 with all my heart, which does teach us that the believer adds to their heavenly account when money is in its rightful place. Say, agree, say yes if you agree. Verse 18. Indeed, verse 18 says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus 
the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Everyone say the word God. Well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, when you take this, you know, it's kind of funny. We've got money with the faces of dead people on. Have you ever noticed that money's like the exact color of gangrene? Whoever decided this color, I don't know, but it's just weird. It's just, it's just strange. Like even in biblical times, they had <laughs> the disciples. Who, whose inscription's on the money? Caesar's. It's like we've always been putting faces of dead people on money. I don't understand that. But, but when you take this thermometer that tells us where our hearts are, and you insert it into the life of a faithful believer, you'll find a believer who's flourishing because money is in its rightful place. You'll find a believer who's adding to their heavenly account when money is in its rightful place. And thirdly and finally this morning, the believer's gift is well-pleasing to God when money is in its rightful place. It's well-pleasing to God, church. If you give, if you consider New Covenant Community Church your home or just where you're visiting this morning, and we've got so many visitors and I've been so busy at home with babies and all these things, I'm really excited to meet so many of the new folks that are around here. But, but if you're just here for whatever reason and the plate comes by and you give grudgingly, don't give. Please don't. Just put it in your pocket and don't give. If you are giving thinking that you are somehow helping your standing with God because you're giving, please do not give. Please do not give a dime to this church if you think that you are somehow impressing God with your pieces of paper with faces of dead people on it. I mean, that's almost embarrassing when you say it that way. Don't, don't even give. If you're giving from the standpoint of, well, we've got to feed the pastor. He's got another baby now. Like, just don't... <laughs> Don't give. Just let us never be found like the little girl whose father gave her two dollars. And the father said, one of these dollars is for you and the other is for God. And you must give this other dollar to God. And so the girl's so happy she's skipping off to the candy store and she falls down next to the drain pipe that's on the side of the road. And one of her dollars is lost down into this bottomless pit of the drain pipe on the road. And she says, well, Lord, I'm sorry your dollar got lost. Like, let us not be found like that. The believer's gift is well-pleasing to God when money is in its, rightful, in its rightful place. Two examples I'd like to give you, but first I'd simply like to say is um, when the plates went by in the church in Philippi, were Paul's needs met? Yes, they were. But those were not the reasons, the true reasons as to why he was joyful in those things. And much in the same way today, when churches and plates go by, are the pastor's needs met? Yes. It's very nice to be able to wear clothes this morning and to have eaten breakfast. Like, those things are nice to have. Are the, are the needs of those people in that position that God has called to that position cared for? Yes. But it goes so much far beyond that. Let us not forget, church, that when we give, it is indeed giving to God. Two examples that I'd like to give you, and then we will be finished, and we'll move on to communion and the baptisms and all the rest that we have going on today. Um, two examples that I can think of of people who in the Bible threw down treasure, money or treasure. One of them was Judas. 
when he came to the full weight. I guess these both examples have to do with when, what is it that people did with money when they came into the full view of who it is that Christ is. When they had these true revelations of, of the truthfulness and who the Son of God was and is. You had Judas who came to that recognition realizing the innocence in Christ. And he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws it down on the temple floor. And he's a bankrupt man in all ways that you could possibly interpret the word bankrupt. Spiritually, financially, emotionally. But there's another example of people throwing treasures down that I just think is so fascinating. In Revelation 4, it talks about these 24 elders that take their crowns off and they cast them down. Much in the same way that Judas cast this treasure down, they take their crowns off and they cast them down. They too came into this full view weight of the person of Christ and, and they throw this treasure down. But although there are those things similar in that they're casting things down, I think the, the means through which they were getting to this place of casting treasure down was totally different. One example with Judas, his heart sought money. And it left him bankrupt when he saw the full view of Christ. These 24 elders, they sought Christ. They were moved by the gospel. It wasn't just a thing. It wasn't just a religion. They believed it and they were changed by the cross. They sought Jesus first. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Their treasure was in Jesus. And that's where their heart was. And they come into this full view of who Christ is. And just like Judas, they throw down the treasure. But, but rather than being left bankrupt in all ways that you can interpret that word, they were rich. They were so rich. Eternity before them. Pleasures before them. Eternity with Christ before them. They, they, had, they had riches that you can't even imagine. Like makes a millionaire look poor kind of rich. They had everything. They've got the Son of God there who's their Redeemer, their Savior. They sought Christ first. That's where their heart was. And the treasures mean little. Can I just tell you, church, as a pastor, I have held the hand of many dying people. Uh, probably a lot more than most people my age have done. And, and you know what everybody does when they reach those pivotal end-of-life moments? They all throw treasures down. If not, if not physically, in this this imagery kind of way. They, people that die and don't know Christ, they, they see the futility in this. They see it then. People that do know Christ, they also see the futility in it. People see how wrong it's been, that how, how, how misled and deceived of the devil that they have been when they say, this is where my heart is and this is, this is what my heart loves. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an awakening thing when you see, see people, unbelievers, in their dying moments come to that realization. And it's pretty cool when you can see someone who loves Christ because that's who, He is who their treasure is and that's where their heart is also. And they pass from this life into eternity. And that's not where their heart was anyway. Their heart was where they're going. It's amazing. It's one of the most amazing things ever. So church, what is your temperature today? Is it lukewarm or is it hot for the Lord? In what manner will you throw down your riches? Where is your heart? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If money is a treasure, your heart will be there. And that is the case for many of us today.
But if Christ is the treasure, someone say amen. If Christ is the treasure, He is where our heart will be. That will be the place that we are headed. Would you bow your heads to pray with me, Brian, as we come? We're going to be taking communion in just a couple moments. And gentlemen, if you would prepare for that. And as we move into this time of communion, what a, what a sweet time of remembrance that Christ is the treasure. What a sweet time of remembrance that the only thing that matters is His body, is His blood that was shed for us. Some of you don't believe that today, but it is the truth. So Father, I pray right now as we prepare our hearts for as we prepare our hearts for this sweet time of worship, of doing these things in remembrance of you. Father, so many things compete for our heart. And money wins out a lot. Jesus, that we would see you as the treasure. The only thing really worth longing after. The only thing that will not forsake us and leave us. The only thing that is the first and the last. Not something that we just enjoy for this breath vapor of a moment here on earth, but something that lasts forever. Judas didn't even enjoy the money that he sold you for, Jesus. But those 24 elders that are still worshiping in heaven today that will forevermore, you are their treasure. So impress upon our hearts to be the treasure this morning, I pray, Jesus, in your most holy name. And all the church says, amen. Gentlemen, if you would come.